there are a lot of amazing books about slices. Right. Right. There are great books about habit. There are great books about focus. There are great books about great. grit. Yeah. There are great books. Scott Barry Kaufman, who works yeah. with us, has written several great, great books on creativity. Mm -hmm. Right. There are a what there isn't is one book that says, hey, wait a minute. You don't have to do all these crazy things. There actually, there's a way to put it together. These are all part of one whole. And if you understand the biology, there's a system, there's a sequence, right? The right. craziest thing about the whole thing in Art of Impossible is there's a bunch of stuff you have to sort of do to get dangerous, to get into the peak performance game. But once you go through the early onboarding hoops, what do you have to do on a daily basis to really take on these high hard goals? There are about six things that have to be done every mm -hmm. day and a good number of them get integrated into stuff you're already going to be doing yeah. anyways. And there are about seven more things that you need to do roughly once a week, twice a week kind of thing. It is an entirely, I mean, forget the fact that it will make you so much more productive mm -hmm. along, you'll get so much more done anyways. But despite the fact that there are so many books about so many different subsets of blah, 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 it actually can be boiled down. If you follow the neuroscience and follow the biology, it sequences up right. pretty nicely. What does it take to do the impossible? What does it take to level up your game like never before? What does it take for individuals, for organizations, for even institutions to achieve paradigm shifting? Nothing is ever the same again, breakthroughs. Our mission is to decode the neurobiology of flow and cognitive peak performance. Access the minds of maverick scientists, groundbreaking innovators, and world-leading experts to understand what it takes to achieve ultimate human performance. So you can feel your best, perform your best, and accomplish your boldest goals. I'm your host, Rian Doris, and together with best-selling author Stephen Kotler, I present to you Flow Research Collective Radio. Hey there, Rian Doris here, and welcome to another episode of Flow Research Collective Radio. So this episode is a special one because we are going to be talking with Mr. Stephen Kotler, who you all know at this point, and we're going to be diving into a pretty secret passion project that Stephen's been working on in the background for the last three or so years, although it's the result of about 30 years of research that is culminating that he did before the past three or so years. So if you've read Rise of Superman, maybe you've read Stealing Fire, maybe you've read some of Stephen's other books like Bold or even Abundance, well, you're going to love Stephen's new book, which we're going to be announcing on today's episode. It is called The Art of Impossible, and it's a practical playbook for peak performance. It includes science-backed, step-by-step protocols needed to access flow, heighten motivation, boost creativity, and ultimately attack your dreams and turn your wildest aspirations into your most recent achievements. We're going to be getting into that in detail today with Stephen. You're going to love it. He's going to be talking about the book, what it's all about, the point of it, and how he came to writing it in the first place. Now, if you want to order the book, well, then you can go to the art of impossible 
Dot-com. We've got some epic pre-order bonuses in there. There's actually over $1,000 worth of pre-order bonuses. You're going to get a number of different masterclasses with myself and with Stephen on grit and on flow and on a number of other topics. And there's about $1,000 worth of free bonuses if you order the book now through theartofimpossible.com. So that's theartofimpossible.com. You can also click the link to theartofimpossible.com below this episode. You can check out the bonuses. You'll love the bonuses as well. They're really, really badass. And if you order the book through that domain, you'll get all of those bonuses as well with immediate access. So really excited to dive into this podcast today with Stephen to talk about his new book, The Art of Impossible, which is really planting a stake in the ground with respect to the applied neuroscience of peak performance. So you're going to love it. And again, theartofimpossible.com or the link in this episode to check out the book in more detail and grab a copy and download the free $1,000 worth of bonuses. Alrighty, let's dive into the episode with Stephen. Hey folks, welcome to this fireside chat with Stephen Kotler about the launch of Stephen's new book, The Art of Impossible, a Peak Performance Primer. So this is a nice opportunity to really get a sense for where this book came from in the first place, what Stephen's hoping people are going to get from it, and also a little bit of a teaser for what you're going to learn in this book if you go ahead and read it, which obviously we're hoping you're going to do. So Stephen, to kick us off, can you tell us just what The Art of Impossible is? I'm going to start us right there. There's truth in the advertising. This is actually a book about what it takes to tackle the impossible. And we'll define that term in a second. Mm -hmm. But I have spent most of my career studying those moments in time when the impossible became possible. Mm -hmm. And the truth of the matter is history is actually littered with those moments, whether it's four-minute mile, so that athletic impossibles, cultural impossibles, Rosa Parks sitting at the front of the bus. There are cognitive impossibles. Einstein's theory of relativity, right? And we've seen these fall over and over. And I started my career in the 1990s as a journalist, writing a lot about action sports, mm -hmm. where the level of performance kept going up and up and up, and more impossible feats were done in a very short, compressed time frame than mm. sort of ever before in the history of sport. And that's where it started. I got fascinated by this question of what does it take to do the impossible, and took it out of sports and took it into pretty much every other domain imaginable and then wrote books about what I discovered, right? Tomorrowland is a book about turning science fiction ideas into science fact technology. Mm -hmm. It's the impossible dreaming of the future. Abundance is small teams and individuals tackling impossible global challenges, mm -hmm. healthcare crises, environmental crises, poverty, energy scarcity, those sorts of things and so forth that all my books were sort of an examination of this one way or the other. And the Art of Impossible is essentially 30 years of what I've learned after mm -hmm. studying how the impossible becomes possible. It turns out you see the same things over and over and over and over again. And there are reasons for that, biological reasons for that, which is what I started to figure out as I started kind of layering in neuroscience, right? Figuring out why these people were able to do what they were able to do, figuring out what's going on in their brain and their body when they were performing at their best and doing these impossible feats. And by impossible feats, I said I was going to define the term. So there's the kind we've already defined, like capital I impossible, those things that have never been done and we believe will never be done, right? right? 
Then there's small I impossible. And that's all the stuff we believe is impossible for mm. us. So like I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and I wanted to be a writer. It was a total impossible. I didn't know any writers. I didn't know how to become a writer. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anybody who even thought about, like it, there was no clear point from A to B mm -hmm. and statistically extremely poor odds of success, mm -hmm. right? That's small I impossible. And there's lots of those rising out of poverty, overcoming trauma, mm -hmm. becoming world-class at anything. It could be business, it could be creativity, it could be art. All those things are small I impossibles. There's things that we think are impossible mm -hmm. for us. And one of the things I'll tell you, there's sort of, if you're interested in big I impossible, mm -hmm. there's not really a secret secret. Usually it turns out that if you want to accomplish big I, it's never been done before, the best way forward is to just go after small I impossible, after small I impossible, after small I impossible. Sooner or later, you would occasionally end up accomplishing capital I impossible mm -hmm. along the way. There are people who go right ahead at it. Google does this with moonshot thinking, mm. right? And there are ways to do that. But as a general rule with most people who end up overcoming some huge challenge, some mm. achieving some giant goal, it's little overcomings that mm -hmm. sort of lead to that. So that's sort of what the art of is possible is out about from a really sort of high level. And if you break it down one small level, whenever you see the impossible become possible, you're seeing people with four combined skill sets. Mm -hmm. Four skill sets are at the heart of it. And each of these skills are catch-all terms. We'll come back to them. But it's motivation, learning, creativity, and flow. Mm. These four cognitive skills added up, put together, learned, sequence, executed in a particular order, that seems to be how high, hard goals get taken down. Mm. This is how we turn our dreams into our reality. It's these four skills. And interestingly, if you know anything about flow and our work with flow, you're going to say, well, that they sound awfully familiar. Flow amplifies right. motivation. It amplifies and accelerates learning. It amplifies creativity. That is true. There is a sort of reason for that. Flow is optimal performance, and there is a limited number of things flow actually optimizes because we're human beings, we're biological mm. systems. So that system is contained, right, a little bit. So when we optimize performance, there's only so many variables to play with, and most of what's getting optimized, not all, but the vast majority of it is motivation, learning, mm. and creativity. This is sort of how I like to think about it. I always say peak performance is an infinite game, right? right? The classic definition of a finite game, you can win or lose, right? Mm -hmm. It's got clearly defined rules. It's bounded. You know who won. You know who lost. Binary. It's binary, right? This is politics. This is sport. This is war, yeah. right? These are finite games. Infinite games, there's no clear rules. There's no clearly defined place for play. And usually the goal is just the continuing of play. So love is often talked about mm. as an infinite game or any kind of art or craft, right? Mm. Writing is an infinite mm. game. Peak performance is an unusual kind of infinite game because how do you win peak performance? You mm. don't, right? It's an infinite game that you just want to keep playing and keep playing because we want to keep improving. But I think with peak performance, you can definitely lose. Mm. I think the feeling of not living on purpose, of being deeply dissatisfied, of not having a life with meaning and well-being and overall life satisfaction. 
This is what happens when you lose peak performance. In fact, interestingly, this argument is also made inside the art of impossible. Once you start breaking down the stuff that's inside motivation and learning and creativity, and if you don't properly use these things to actually take on large challenges, it appears in a sense that human beings are biologically designed mm -hmm. for large challenges to go after these sorts of things. And if you don't, you start unearthing some of the, there are nine major causes of depression, mm -hmm. but six of them are the opposite of peak performance. Mm. So not going big is bad for you, mm. which is hard to believe, but it appears, especially psychologically, especially in life, if you're interested in well-being, life satisfaction, meaning that sort of stuff, but also if you'd like to avoid depression mm -hmm. and anxiety, it seems like not going big is bad for us. Mm. So that's another thing the art of impossible is poking at. Not going big is bad for you, I love that. It's a great little soundbite. I know there's two big things that you really want people to leave this book with. Can you break those down? Yeah, I think that the two big things that I learned over and over and over again over these 30 years and studying how people are accomplishing capital I impossible, small I impossible. And I think the first is that we are all capable of so much more than we know mm -hmm. over and over and over again. And I have to tell you, I met extraordinary people who had done extraordinary things in the world in all domains. I met no one who started out extraordinary, mm. right? They just all started out average. Mm. They got extraordinary. And how did they get extraordinary? The proper application of motivation skills, learning skills, creative skills, and flow skills. Mm. That's essentially what happened. We were all capable of extraordinary. And more importantly, human capability, human potential is invisible, especially to ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I think of it as human potential and human capability, these are emergent properties. Emergent means that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And you can't see the whole, you can't mm -hmm. judge the whole from the parts like a hurricane. Mm -hmm. You can look at all the indicators of a tropical storm, right? You can see the wind speed, you can see the air temp, you can know that all these factors can combine or not combine mm. into a hurricane, but a hurricane isn't there until it's there. And once those factors come together, it's a hell of a lot worse than a tropical storm, mm. right? You get a hole that is much greater than some of its parts and it's not there until it's there. That's how human capability is. And we have all had this experience, right? Because learning itself, is an invisible process, right? Our experience is we're bad mm -hmm. until we're better, mm -hmm. right? It's because the adaptive unconscious actually has to right. figure out what you're doing. And that takes place completely out of sight and often with like no even bodily sensation of awareness. Like we don't get an internal signal that says, hey, you're learning now. Mm -hmm. So even though you really suck at this, yeah. you're getting better, right? Like the no, middle bit's invisible. the middle bit is invisible. You're bad until you're better, mm -hmm. basically. Another way of saying this is we got a chance recently to chat with Dr. Andrew Uberman mm -hmm. from Flow Research Collective Radio, and he said something that I love, I can't stop reusing it, which is the thing that peak performers know that regular people don't know is that peak performance is always crawl, walk, yeah, run, right? And one of the biggest differences between like peak performers and everybody else is not that like peak performers are bad until they're better, just like all of us, mm -hmm. and they hate it and it sucks. They just know 
they're bad until they're better. Right. They know they have to start by crawling so they don't waste time looking for a shortcut. Right. Most other people will look for a shortcut. They try and start running. They're, yeah, they're they going to try to, st they want to start by running, running. Yeah. Run, at least by walking, right? They right. definitely don't want to start by crawling, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, we'd all like to start by running. And there are at times in career moves mm -hmm. where you can jump steps, right? You can like level up in some real way. But when it comes to like skill acquisition yeah. and knowledge acquisition, it is crawl, walk, run, right? right? It just, it always is. And for all these reasons, what we're capable of is invisible to ourselves. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an even better example. David Epstein covered a lot of this work in his fabulous book, Range. I write a bunch about some of David's research in Art of Impossible because I think it's such a key component of learning mm -hmm. and how do you accelerate learning and how do you think about learning. I might just value add. But one of the things he is really clear in the learning literature, especially when it comes to physical skills, is you cannot actually look at a physical skill that you've never done and be able to judge if you're going to be good at it or you're going to like it hmm. until after you've done it and gotten better. You, we literally over and over and over in studies, we cannot predict, right? You cannot predict if you're going to be, you've never skied, right? We right. were talking about this. Right. You cannot from this point predict, like you think you're like, well, I'm friends with all these action sport athletes yeah. and they love skiing. And, <laughs> And like I'm, you're a surfer and you're yeah, a yeah. skater and you're a rugby player, so you're athletic. You literally cannot predict if you're going to be a good skier and you're going to like yeah. it. You have to do it, mm. even with that kind of that much, mm. you know, with seemingly transferable skills, right? Right. And it turns out the research shows now you actually have to get out there and mm. do it, right? Like when we we talk about learning through doing, that's because using multiple senses makes us remember things better, right? right. Or deep embodiment, which also is learning through doing, is a flow trigger. So we talk about it often that way. But the funny thing is one of the things that you're learning through doing is whether you actually can learn and like doing the thing that you're doing. Right. It's amazing. <laughs> it, it's, it's interesting. You can't predict it ahead of time. Hey there, Rian Doris here. If you are eager to make 2021 your best year yet, if you want to improve your time and flow and your effectiveness, then feel free to order The Art of Impossible now. Again, as Stephen's been saying here, you can think of this book as a radically practical neuroscience-based one-stop shopping for the entire peak performance suite from motivation to grit and goals to accelerated learning, creativity, and of course, flow to turbo boost everything that you're doing. And if you order The Art of Impossible right now, you're going to get over $1,000 worth of bonuses dropped straight into your inbox. So you can go to theartofimpossible.com to claim them. That's theartofimpossible.com to claim your bonuses. You can grab those, download them, and enjoy them as well, along with the book itself, of course. Alrighty, back to the episode with Stephen. Let's trace things back a little bit in your career as far as the ideas, the catalysts for these ideas that have ended up, you know, creating the art of impossible. I want to actually start with magic because I remember you told uh, me one yeah. of the first times you saw the impossible become possible was actually through magic when, I don't know, were you seven it was years nine. old? Nine years old. It was nine. So, so it was nine years old. <laughs> I've, got, back a little I've bit. got a, yeah, I've got a younger brother 
This is in Cleveland, Ohio. And he comes back from his friend's house. My brother's name is Brad. And he comes back from his friend's house. And he, like, walks into the front hall and pulls out, like, a bright red sponge ball. Right. Right. And he puts it in his palm and it vanishes. And my mom's with me. And mom freaks. And Brad gets all the attention. And I had never seen prestidigitation before. I would not right. seen magic before. So I'd never seen anything like it. And it, like, my brother just did magic. Like, I was right. like, what the hell just happened to me? <laughs> and, you know... Clearly, you know a couple of things like, well, my little brother isn't magic, right? right? So what the hell just happened? And I was like, there's got to be a skill set. I was like, there's a skill set that makes the impossible possible, yeah. right? And I think that was one of those funny little sort of cognitive things. And the truth of the matter is I dove into magic. I became, you know, a professional magician. I started working when I was 11 years old doing birthday parties and weddings and whatnot. Christ, man. I told you, I recently found, like, they did an article about me in in one of the Cleveland papers. Well, because you were, I was an 11-year-old magician. I probably thought it was really cool at the time, but, like, looking back, they were like, look at the weird kid doing, like, working, right? But, But magic was very interesting weird kind of impossible training that the impossible is possible and this is was a strange part of the experience is the 70s was when magicians discovered they could actually make a lot of money by writing down their tricks and putting them in books and mm. selling the books to the magicians and the best magicians in the world would put their tricks into books and the interesting thing about magic is it's got built-in feedback. Mm-hmm. If you fool your audience, you won. It mm-hmm. worked, right? Right. So and as an 11-year-old, I could buy a book by the world's best magician, mm-hmm. find his hardest trick, right. and practice it and learn it and execute it. And if I fooled somebody, right? right? So you, I started to figure out that like things that were expert-level impossible, you could actually do with enough practice and there's a saying in professional magic, which is literally very little is impossible with 10 years practice. Mm. And it comes from magic, but I think it actually sort of like holds in a lot of other domains as well. Well, what you mentioned about the fact that, you know, when you're, when you're exerting effort and there's a gap between the exertion of the effort and then the outcome, there's an element almost of magic there between well, the, the input and the outcome. Yeah, and so the, the other thing is, I never solved the infinite gain thing about peak performance and those three skills. Right. So let's pop back to right. that. Right. Sorry. <laughs> Motivation gets you into your infinite game. Okay. Right. Learning is what allows you to continue to play. Mm-hmm. Right. Creativity is how you steer your mm-hmm. direction. And flow is how you essentially turbo boost the entire process beyond all reasonable expectations. And that's the other thing about this kind of work peak performance or, or going after these kind of really high, hard challenges, mm-hmm. you know, sort of impossible challenges, is when you start out, the mountain is so high, your steps are so small, it does not seem possible. Nor does it actually, you're like, God, if I have to one step at a time to freaking get to the top of that mountain, I don't know if I got the time to do that, mm-hmm. right? There's So there's that feeling, and it's so slow, and... We always say peak performance works like compound interest, right? It's like micro percent better today, micro percent better tomorrow, and they it's exponential. They Mm -hmm. they double, but like any exponential curve, all the initial doublings are essentially invisible, Mm -hmm. right? And then once these skill sets start generating flow on a regular basis, 
it's turbo because it's turbo boosting productivity. It's turbo boosting creativity. If you look at, you know, this kind of path when you sequence motivation, learning, and creativity, and kind of to play these skills in, and we can talk about why you get way more flow, way more sustainable flow, and you get a lot farther faster. So what starts out seeming really, really slow, boy, do you just start mm. picking up speed and then it's sort of like quantum leap and quantum leap and quantum leap. And you know, your first impossible is super hard. Your second impossible, less hard. Right. And then there's a lot of quotes in the book about this, but literally like if you talk to the action sport athletes, they say this over and over again. Like if you wanna know what happened in the 1990s, it was a bunch of people getting used to doing the impossible. Mm. So it didn't like, they literally were like, oh, okay, that thing that nobody's done, yeah, we can do that because we did all these other ones mm. and it just it became what was next or what's for breakfast. Mm -hmm. It became common. And Laird Hamilton, who I write about in the book mm -hmm. and really helped influence a lot of my thinking on peak performance, we met two and a half decades ago. Yeah. So we go way back and so he's in the book and a bit of his thinking is, sort of in the book. Uh, what I wanted to ask you on that note anyway was whether or not people need to be aware that they're using these four elements of creativity, motivation, flow, and learning when accomplishing the impossible. Yeah, so not at all. When we talk about the why behind these skills, there's an idea in the book that grew out of a, a really puzzling flow question, which was if you look at what does flow amplify? Mm -hmm. The physical side, it's fast twitch muscle response, it's strength, it's stamina, it lowers pain, mm -hmm. or raises our pain thresholds. And on the cognitive side, you get huge boosts in motivation mm -hmm. and productivity. You get huge boosts in innovation and creativity. You get huge bursts in learning. Mm -hmm. Get a big uptick in sort of empathy and perspective shifting and mm -hmm. environmental awareness, like noticing things in the world. And of course, all the cooperation, collaboration, mm -hmm. um, everything that shows up in group flow gets massively heightened. And you got to stop and go, why would you need empathy and environmental awareness? Like what is going on? Or why would you get creativity and motivation? At, like they don't seem like they're related things in a weird way. And you have to stop and start with a very simple thing, which is Evolution shaped human beings mm -hmm. to perform at their best in flow, right? The state is universal. Anybody can get into flow. And in all of us, flow amplifies all these things. Why? The reason is evolution itself is being driven predominantly by scarcity. Scarcity of resources is the largest driver of evolution. Now, these could be sexual resources, mates, people to mate mm -hmm. with. This could be food, mm -hmm. shelter, clothing, respect, you know, any of the things that get you more resources. When there are two responses to scarcity, you can fight mm -hmm. over dwindling resources, or you can get collaborative, get cooperative, get creative, get innovative and make new resources. So flow amplifies essentially all the stuff we need to either fight or flee or get creative, get cooperative and make new resources. That's why it's all those skill sets. And at the heart of that, motivation, learning and creativity, those are the right. center of that. And that's the other place. One of the origin stories for this book is 
in earlier work I had done around flow and, and in early training of people in flow, I found when you use neuroscience, right? If you go back into the 90s when people tried to train flow, they were training from the psychology. Mm -hmm. And it was difficult. If the psychology is too squishy. It's the terminology that's trying to get at mechanism, but the terminology is very mm -hmm. imprecise, can mean different things to different people, et cetera, et cetera. It was very hard to train flow reliably and repeatably. Mm -hmm. And then once we started getting the neuroscience in the early 2000s and, and moving forward, and really post like 2010 or 2011, and even more recently, we found that it's remarkably easy to train flow. If you mm. follow the neuroscience, my older company, when we would do that, we would get a 35 to 80% increase in flow when it was zero to dangerous. We're using the kind of the standard psychometric instruments, mm -hmm. measuring flow pre and post, and we see a 70 to 80% boost mm -hmm. in most of our clients. And we're training, what, 1,000 people a month mm -hmm. or so. So that's a reliable data source. And that's our Kung Fu is very good, mm -hmm. but it's also because we're following the biology. We're following the yeah. neuroscience gives you mechanism. And when you're starting from, oh, this is how it works. This is how we use it. This is how we get more of it. It's very reliable, very repeatable. Right. When you are dealing with motivation, learning, creativity, and flow, and you're using the same sort of principles and training from the biology and realizing that these things and the way that training from the neuroscience of flow would allow us to train flow a lot more easily with these other skills that flow also amplifies. Training from the neuroscience makes it a whole lot easier to train everybody in flow. And the more important point, when we were starting out, when we were doing this early work before uh, the more recent stuff, we could train anybody in flow, right? We could, we could use these principles to really get you far, but there was a substantial return to baseline. Mm -hmm. kick you up, you'd get 70, 80% more flow, and then it would only last a couple of months, mm. right? And that's sort of horrible to do to people. Mm. Give them a whole bunch more sort of peak performance and flow with all the feel-good neurochemistry, and then it just sort of like mm. cuts out. That was a problem. And there was people were returning to baseline, looking at what's going on, why is this happening? And I started to realize, especially in talking to people, the problem had nothing to do with flow. It had to do with all the stuff that flow was amplifying, right. motivation, learning, and creativity. And it's they couldn't sustain the speed of flow, the amplification of flow, because the, they didn't have the right skills. So like, you know, motivation, I said earlier, when we first started, there's a catch-all term. When I'm yeah. talking about motivation, when psychologists talk about motivation, they're really talking about extrinsic motivation, intrinsic motivation. So extrinsic motivation are the things that are outside of mm -hmm. ourselves money, sex, fame. These are famous external motivators. Intrinsic motivation, things like curiosity, passion, purpose, mm -hmm. autonomy, mastery, like the internal drivers, right? There's goals. And finally, there's grit, mm -hmm. which is what you need when the motivation runs out, mm -hmm. right? And so that's the entire suite under motivation. And like, for example, when people were not in flow, they got all these heightened feelings of pleasure and well-being when they were not in flow, if they didn't have solid grit skills, for mm -hmm. example, or if their intrinsic motivators were not properly like aligned. You want all your intrinsic motivators, curiosity, passion, purpose, autonomy, and mastery, the big five intrinsic motivators. You want to point it all in the same mm -hmm. direction to amplify motivation. It also amplifies flow. So if those things weren't done correctly, if you didn't have 
trained up the six different levels of grid skills that you sort of need to sustain mm-hmm. grid over time. The flow would go away and you couldn't, you didn't have the skills to get through the struggle phase at the front right. end of the next flow state or learning, right? You have to stay in the challenge skill sweet yeah. spot, right? To maximize flow. That means always pushing your skills to the utmost. That means you got to constantly be learning and onboarding new skills, new knowledge. And if you don't have really good learning skills, yeah. you can't keep pace with your new pace. Right. It's, it's right? almost like, the way I sort of think about it when you describe it, it's like taking a car and then flow is putting like a NOS booster in the car. And then all of these other skills are your power steering and your guardrails and your sat nav and things like that to make sure the whole thing actually. Yeah, exactly. So you can handle the speed, right? Yeah, no, and, and it was a, it was a big thing. You know, I, I've said this before, but you know, if you're in a car, you're doing 10 miles an hour, you hit a tree, right. you're down to the fender, you're doing a hundred miles an hour, yeah. now you had a big problem. <laughs> yeah. And that, so that was, we were teaching right. people how to go a hundred miles an hour and then they were hitting the trees, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And they were hitting trees because all this shit that was being amplified with flow wasn't being trained up. And this was the other thing. This was what I noticed about peak performers. This, this happened with normal people, mm-hmm. right? You and me. It didn't happen with like some of the pro athletes or the U.S. Navy SEALs or like mm-hmm. they had these things burned in. in. Yeah. And you, by the way, look at really effective CEOs. You're going to see their skills are going to be they're all going to be on the motivation, learning, creativity, and flow side. Now, this may be as leaders, as you know, often this is the social side mm-hmm. of those skills. So you can motivate yourself, you can motivate others. Like, mm-hmm. you know, this, this is a balance there, but it's, it's always those four skills. And you see mastery of that in anywhere. You know what I mean? Like, I always tell people if you're a peak performer, or if you're really farther along this path, when you, it's like when you encounter flow stuff for the first time or when you encounter any of these high performance tools, you've got a lot of them, right? Right. You're probably using most of them. You probably don't realize that they work in a sequence. They work together. There's biology that links them together. There's an order. There's a way to do it better. And there may be a couple chinks in your armor because biology shaped us. These are the only tools we can reach for. Maybe we'll grow new opportunities when we get brain implants and everything right. that's coming. But for right now, yeah. this this is the toolkit. Right. Yeah, I think when people buy and read the book, one of the things that's so cool about it and that's so distinct from so many books that attempt to cover similar topics that are more in the self-help range is, as Stephen's been saying, that it is derived from the biology and that these are mechanisms that have arisen as a result of evolution. And so I think just the fact that all of this is downstream from that makes it so compelling and it's simultaneously very, very practical as well, even though- it's Super practical. And I think it solves another problem that I think a lot of people have had in this space, which is there are a lot of amazing books about slices, right? right? There are great books about habit. There are great books about focus. There are great books about grit. There are great books. Scott Barry Kaufman, who works with us, has written several great, great books on creativity, Mm -hmm. right? There are What there isn't is one book that says, hey, wait a minute, you don't have to do all these crazy things. They're actually, there's a way to put it together. These are all part of one whole. And if you understand the biology, there's a system, there's a sequence, right? The right. craziest thing about the whole thing in Art of Impossible is there's a bunch of stuff you have to sort of do to get dangerous, to get into the peak performance game. But once you go through the early onboarding hoops, 
What do you have to do on a daily basis to really take on these high hard goals? There are about six things that have to be done every day and a good number of them get integrated into stuff you're already going to be doing anyways. And there are about seven more things that you need to do roughly once a week, twice a week kind of thing. It is an entirely, I mean, forget the fact that it will make you so much more productive Mm. along. You'll get so much more done anyways. But despite the fact that there are so many books about so many different subsets of blah, 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 it actually can be boiled down. If you follow the neuroscience and follow the biology, it sequences up pretty nicely. Yeah. Yeah, I would say The Art of Impossible, it's definitely it's a really effective way to do one-stop shopping and get an 80-20 sense of peak performance. A lot of the other books are like various branches on the tree. This is kind of like the whole tree. This is tree. the big tree. With, with the root also. Yeah. You know, it's all, it's all broken that. down from the beginning. So, yeah, definitely recommend buying The Art of Impossible. There'll be a link somewhere to buy it. And if you're listening to this on audio only, you can just... Google search it, it'll drop you straight to Amazon. You'll be able to grab a copy of The Art of Impossible there as well. And if, by the way, you don't want to support Amazon, IndieBound is another shot, Barnes & Noble. Lots of bookstores to choose from. Right, absolutely. We've touched on this a little bit, but I think it's just worth asking again. In terms of flow, I know one of the concerns was that, that folks had overemphasized the importance of flow. We talked about focusing only on flow and the issues around that, but is there anything you want well, to that was an Yeah, it was sort of the magic pill. People thought flow was going to be the magic pill, right? It's like the one, oh, I want to live my life in flow. It's in light. First of all, you can't live your life in flow. It's not enlightenment. And two, it's not the magic pill. Like flow on itself is really fun and really interesting and a big boost, but it's not going to get you A to B. It's really like flow is the absolute, it's optimal performance. Mm -hmm. It is the state of optimal performance. But there are a lot of times in my life when we're not in flow and it's, you know what I mean? And we still need to be able to kind of maintain and go farther. So there was a frustration with flow is the single solution. You see this a lot when people start turning things into apps, right? It's really easy to sell a mindfulness app and they're good, right? But like... Everybody wants their one solution to be the only solution, right? You know, you see this a lot with devices that will train brainwaves down to the 10 hertz range, Mm -hmm. which is what correlates with flow. And they will sell it as, hey, our neurofeedback device puts you into flow. Well, no, flow is a a huge number of shifts and changes Mm -hmm. in the brain, one of which is that your brainwaves tend to be in the 8 to 10 hertz range at the alpha theta borderline, but that's one tiny bit of a much bigger puzzle. And this one bit is very, very useful, Mm. incredible. I mean, all those EEG headsets that help you do this, we work with some of them because they're really, really useful, but they're not flow, right? right? Flow is a bigger thing. And flow itself is not the magic pill. It's actually a much sort of Mm. bigger suite. And what our impossible really looks at is because it's I didn't solve the whole thing. I'm looking at the, this is mostly cognitive peak performance. There are some physical things in there. For example, because grit is easier to train, parts of grit are easier to train with physicality and things like that. But in general, Art Impossible is about the cognitive high performance suite. There's a whole body side mm-hmm. to this also, right? That is kind of even bigger right. than this. So. There's more other people will build on this work as well. But for right now, this is, I think, the first time somebody's like, 
hey, here's the entire system, here's the biology that's underneath it, here's the neuroscience that drives it work, and here's how you sequence it and systematize it and use it. And here's what you do immediately as well. Yeah, exactly. Steps, which is a key. Yeah, element. and by the way, if you know me, you know that I get homicidal whenever anyone asks me what are the three things I can do Monday morning. Now yeah. I can say, buy art when possible and start reading. It's two <laughs> things. It's easier. That's yeah. what you should do Monday morning. Yeah, exactly. I can't tell you how many speeches Stephen would be giving and the, the first Q&A would be, what, what can I do first thing Monday morning? I think, yeah, the answer has been the writing of this book, essentially. Yeah, in so. a sense, just out of frustration. Of yeah, being like, exactly. And it turns out there are six things you should be doing Monday. Yeah. You can do the same six on Tuesday and on Wednesday and Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But Exactly. Anything you want to mention in terms of the recent history of peak performance? Because I know one big thing that has happened is that podcasting mm -hmm. has made a lot of this stuff more visible and widely known and probably accelerated the development just really of the knowledge. It was one of the reasons, the first thing that happened is podcasting made the science of peak performance visible for the first mm -hmm. time, right? As you said, it was a secret science. Mm -hmm. The people who were most invested in it, the military, the Navy SEALs, yeah. the Literally you know, professional support right. teams, right. right? I mean, no, I mean, like, there are a lot of people who've done experiments with Red Bull and right. they're invested in making their athletes best in the world and they're not, Red Bull doesn't want to share it. Yeah, yeah, it's inherently, right. people are inherently disincentivized from sharing from sharing yeah, science exactly. because it's a competitive advantage. Exactly. So podcasting made it visible for the first time. So suddenly you could see the kind of full suite. That was also when it got a lot easier to kind of go, oh wow, the full suite are these motivation, creativity and learning mm. skills and flow skills because it's all out there. Every topic is out there. You can mm. see what people are talking about. You start categorizing it, right? Slotting it in and doing like meta-analysis on this. And you're like, oh, wow, it only, they fit into these specific kit. Why? Of course, because the biology is, mm. the, is the base of the toolkit. Only so many tools. Right, right, right. Exactly. That makes total, that makes total sense. Anything else you want to mention for folks? I don't think there's a final thing to mention other than if you've taken some of our trainings mm -hmm. and you're wondering sort of like, what do we do in the Art of Impossible courses mm -hmm. and, and things like that? This is what we're focused yeah. on. We're really focused on motivation, learning, creativity, like all the tools that you really need to sustain peak performance over a lifetime. There's something really cool in Art of Impossible that I don't think is any place else. And it's everything in the book is completely neuroscience based and really backed by the biology, except for this section, because the research was so new. I got curious. We've been reading my newsletter over the years. You, you, you've seen me write about this over time. And if you trace me back to my time when I was writing for psychology today, I would write about this as well. I got very fascinated with the question of long haul creativity, mm. right? So what does it take to sustain? creativity over the course of a entire career over an entire lifetime you know a lot of people when they focus on and wanting more creativity they're either talking about wanting more just creative decision making problem solving abilities in general like i want the general tool or they're talking sort of very specific oh i need the creativity for this project but i got really interested in creatives especially in in, in today's world where like art goes through trends, writing goes through trends, even science goes right and waves and and you know I learned to write one way in the 1990s. It was very popular. I could not write that way now, mm. 
It doesn't work in 2020. Mm. And who knows, if I'm alive in 2050, mm. probably won't work then, mm. right? What I'm doing now probably won't, and I'll have to learn new writing styles. But you have to keep reinventing and reinventing and reinventing yourself. And then I started to realize, you know, in today's fast-paced business world, this was sort of the same thing going on. People are reinventing themselves and reinventing themselves and reinventing themselves and that's So I got really interested in how do you sustain creativity? I call it long-haul creativity. And spent now about seven years sort of studying this. And this was mostly done by, you know, I've interviewed hundreds of people. I, I only, I boiled everything down to like, I think nine quick stories. One of them I will tell right here because Sir Ken Robinson, who mm. um, was a tremendously lovely man, really like as charismatic as he is on stage, that he's like that all the time. He's just mm. wonderful. I got to spend some time with Sir Ken Robinson when I, we were in Italy together and we spent a lot of time talking about long haul creativity. Mm. And one of the stories that he told me is in there. He said that if you really want to maintain kind of creativity over the course of a career, it doesn't matter what field it is. He said, you, you want a sort of itchy dissatisfaction mm. with your work at all times. And, and as an example, he told me a funny story. He's so Ken was brave man who was willing to say a lot of things to people. So like, what well, he met George Lucas and he sort of popped the question. He was like, yo, George, how come you keep making all those Star Wars movies, <laughs> right? And uh, the question nobody wants to ask out loud. And George Lucas had this amazing answer. He said, you know, in this particular universe, I'm God and God's not satisfied. <laughs> oh, God, what a wild answer. What a great answer, right? Yeah. And, but we talked about it a lot, and I think that's, I mean, again, Arden Possible grew out of this sort of itchy dissatisfaction of, oh, we're training it wrong, we're teaching it wrong, we're mm. doing it wrong, other people are doing it wrong, mm -hmm. whatever. That was a big sort of fuel into, like, I wanted to do the creative problem solving and the effort and the motivation, right? right? But like to really like puzzle that it was an itchy dissatisfaction. I, you know, bold. I, I always tell people this story. Like one of the goals that I personal goals of bowls was, can I write a business book that doesn't suck? Right? Because right? they all suck. They're so terribly no written. They're boring. Oh well, yeah, true. nobody hates business books more than me. They're terribly written. They're boring. And they're filled with jargon, people making up terms they can brand it and sell you, he says, as he tries to sell you art when possible. Well, one of the things I just want to mention as well, folks, in addition to, in addition to long haul creativity, I think one of the things that the art and possible will do for you if you really apply what you learn in it is help you sustain peak performance over the long haul. Because one of the big frustrations that our clients have, at least, is that they often have a good week or a good month or sometimes even a good few months, but really applying these tools properly will allow you to sustain it over the long, long, long haul so that you're not having kind of peaks and valleys constantly and you're, you're permanently improving your results and your performance over the, the long term. You probably over the years have heard both of us say peak performance is a checklist. Mm. And you probably wanted to be like, well, what's on the checklist? <laughs> Finally, yeah, yeah, yeah. Checklist the, in the, book. the reason we couldn't answer that question yet is because the book was in development. But finally, <laughs> peak performance is a checklist. We promise. Yeah. Actually, a nice way to describe the art impossible is peak performance checklist with all the science and, and everything behind each element of the checklist as well. So definitely encourage you all to pick up a copy. And for now, thank you all for tuning in. Thank you, guys. Fun hanging out.
If what you've heard on Flow Research Collective Radio has been helpful, please consider doing us a solid and leaving us a review on Apple, Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this. Reviews help us connect to a wider audience so we can get these peak performance principles out to more people.